good afternoon. A, a nice cloudy day today, and which I guess keeps the heat somewhat down. Could be worse. I was listening a little bit to Mike Adams this morning, and uh, he keeps bringing out the fact there's a food shortage coming. Um, I think they said uh, two months ago the uh, amount of children's um, I guess they call it uh, baby food, was only it was 40% of the country was out. And then this week, it's now over 70% out. And that, that's a, a percentage where they looked at uh, across the country. They did thousands of uh, grocery stores, and that's what they come up with, thousands of places without um, baby food. And then we're developing a, um, a weapon system that would knock out some of the Russians' equipment, but uh, the Russians know where it is, and they'll probably knock it out, and it costs billions of dollars to make one, so they want to get one out there and get it set up, and the Russians will take it out. So we'll send another one out, and they can take that out. So it's kind of a grim situation sitting out there based on the fact that our government is doing a desperate attempt to aggravate the Russians to cause them to fight against us. So it's a sad situation. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, we're going to have special music today. Um, it's going to be about Isaiah 6, I mean 9, 6, and 35. Uh, Sustaining of Life by Gloria Moss. Thank 
Thank you, Gloria. That was good. All right. Well, we're here at the uh, end of seven weeks. I always look at it as I count the Sabbath. And um, I had a little talk with somebody. I look at the Sabbath, and so I count Sabbath. It's easier for me, but it is actually in in the scriptures. It is the seven complete weeks plus one day. Seven complete weeks. So this is the seventh complete week, uh, seventh Sabbath, seventh complete week before Pentecost. Pentecost is uh, from one place I read says it is the conclusion of the. Passover and Days of Unleavened Bread. So, there is importance to it, importance to this day. Um, it is a Sabbath, and it is, there is the Sabbath, and then the, it's counted from the Wadashith, which is the first day of the week uh, of the seven weeks. So, it would be day one, and then you count 50 more, 40 more, 49 more days after that day, and you got Pentecost. I was told one time many years ago that our feast days are uh, in the feast days that we have in the fall days. That you can only, you can never rather, you can never keep pass. I mean, uh, trumpets, atonement, and first day of tabernacle, the last great day, on the first day of the week. Or the last day, uh, the sixth day of the week. They said, you just, it's just not set up. But uh, I always ask the question, because I was told by Mr. Armstrong way over 60 years ago that don't believe me, believe the Scripture. So I've been looking, so maybe somebody can help me find why it, what Scripture it says that you can't keep trumpets on Friday. Or you can't keep trumpets on a Sunday. I just can't find it. I know they want to use uh, Romans uh, chapter 3 where it says to the Jews were given the oracles of God. But the oracles of God from everything I've read is the scriptures. It's what God wrote, not what people wrote. So the only thing I can see that in scripture is that what the was in the Talmud and not in the in the Torah or the Pentateuch or whatever. Anyway, so 60 years ago plus, 
I remember Mr. Armstrong saying, look into the scripture. So maybe if somebody can help me find that scripture, it shows I can't keep these holy days. What I do find, this is what I do find, that there's only three days that are limited to a specific day of the week. That's the uh, uh, seventh day, which is this holy day. That is always limited to the seventh day. God set it up that way. He said, six days I will labor. The seventh day is a day of rest. He's hallowed that day. So I can see that the seventh day of the week is the Sabbath. God set it that way. So I can see that. That's an important day. But there's only two other days that's important that are limited to a particular day of the week. And that is the way she and Pentecost, or the Feast of the First of the Weeks. So, those two days are always limited to the first day of the week. And there is a reason for that, that we keep those days. The word Pentecost is only found in the New Testament three times. Acts 2, where it says on the day of Pentecost, they were all gathered together. And then it's two other times where it says Paul was wanting to get to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. The rest of the scriptures only refer to Pentecost or Feast of, of Weeks. In, in Exodus 34:22, it says, And you shall observe the Feast of Weeks of the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the Feast of Ingathering at the end of the year. So, here it says, that what we call Pentecost was really referred to as the Feast of Weeks. And in Numbers 28-26, it says also, in the day of the first fruits, when you bring a new meal offering to the Lord, after your weeks be out, you shall have a holy convocation and you shall do no work therein. So those, those places, so it is more likely thought of as a the feast of weeks or first fruits. So what are first fruits? Have we ever considered that? For years um, people would bring me first fruits. In Exodus thirty four twenty six it says the first of the first fruits of your harvest you shall bring to the house of the eternal your God. And you shall feed, and you shall not feed a, uh, a kid in its mother's milk. But it says, in the first of the first fruits, you bring an offering to God. It doesn't say you bring your whole offering. You don't bring your whole first harvest. I got to thinking about that when I was beekeeping. My first, when I had trying to collect, uh, say, like orange honey. Uh, I might, on that first day, that first picking, bring in uh, five or six barrels of honey. Does that mean I take that five or six barrels of honey and give that to God? Because I know I've got to give 10%. That's automatic. I give 10% of my income. But do I take that first five or six barrels? If I did, what do, how, do I, how do I keep working? Because that's my income. So do I give the whole thing? 
No, I go in there and I give an offering from that. In Leviticus 2, verse 12, it says, As for the oblation of the first fruits, so we, so an offering that we're going to give of our first fruits, you shall offer them unto the eternal, but they shall not be burnt on the altar for a sweet savor. So it's a different offering. Sometimes people bring you the first tomato. Is that exactly what God wants us? Would you go out there and you're, you've got, say, ten tomato plants? And so you see five or six or seven or ten of them um, ripening. Do you just give one? Uh, what if that one has uh, a blemish in it? What if it's not quite all the way? The first one that you pick off of there isn't that good. Is that what you take? I mean, would Daryl accept that? Probably would. Cause I know for me, I'd probably cut it up and throw it in the blender so you wouldn't know. But for for your first crop, do you just take the first thing that you pick? Is that what God is talking about? In chapter, in chapter 2 of Leviticus, verse 14 says, And if you offer a meat offering of the first fruits unto the Lord, you shall offer for the meal offering of the first fruits green ears of corn dried in a fire, even corn beaten out of the full air. So you're not going to take a basket full of corn and just give it as the first one. It's here it's giving the specific directions on what you did to give it to God. Again, turn in, in, and look again and put, and put it down in Deuteronomy 26.10. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which the Lord has given me, and you shall set it before your God and worship before your God. So you take an offering. It doesn't necessarily say that you have to take the first tomato, the first ear of corn. What if that first ear of corn has got a worm in it? I've seen it happen. It, especially out here when we had a garden going and we go out there and pick an ear of corn, if you don't look at it really close, it could be half eaten up. So is that what we take to God? So when we're talking about first fruits, in Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honor the eternal with your substance and with the first fruits of your increase. So we take this to God. How much of this do we bring? Uh, it's, it's nice. I know if we've got one tomato plant, we're going to get one tomato off it, and that's the first picking. Yeah, that'd be right. But if we have a garden, a half an acre, an acre, uh, uh, ten acres, would the farmer who is growing a hundred acres of watermelons take the first picking? Uh, I've been in that area. I've watched what they pick. They might pick in a hundred acres seven or eight semi-loads. Is that what we take to God? I mean, at one time, we, when I worked in the honey industry, I uh, was helping a guy pack honey. And we sent three semi-loads of honey up to the um, prison in Georgia. And the guy was pretty upset because he didn't know what he was going to do with three semi-loads of honey, which amounted to be about 
60 barrels per semi. 60, 55-gallon drums. And that's a lot of money to try to move out. So is that what God is expecting us? See Numbers 18.12 where it says, All the best of the oil and the best of the wine and of the wheat, the first fruits of them, Turn the page here. When you shall offer to the Lord, then I have given you. So here it's telling us that the best. So it's giving us a little bit of guidelines. We've got to go out there and find out what is the best that we have. It's not just anything. It's the best that we have. That's what God is expecting from the first fruit. So that's the physical aspect of first fruits that we, when we make a harvest, um, when you're in the, when you're a, a food producer, a, a farmer, say, you take the best to offer to God. You don't just take the first thing that you come to. So the physical aspect, God expects us to bring to God the best that we have. So that's the physical side of it. But what about, how does that mean, what does that mean to you and me today? Because most of us are not farmers. Maybe we have a couple here that is farming. But the most of us is, we're just people. We, we have jobs. Uh, we work every day. And sometimes we do plant a little garden and we only have a little bit of things. But what does God expect from you and me? How does God look at what we do in our lives. Because physically, it's easy to see. It's easy to find an orange or a, or a watermelon or, or a tomato or an ear of corn that's, that's not very good. Well, we could easily say, well, God doesn't want me to give that. But what about my life? What am I to give to God? Matthew chapter 7. Verse 17, Matthew chapter 7. God talks a lot about gardening, I mean, growing crops and trees, and he talks a lot about that through life. And he uses that as a relationship that we can see in our lives, and then it transposes that to us as an individual. So in Matthew chapter 7, verse 17, it says, even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit. So here he's saying that you look at the tree. There are trees out there that are good and there are trees that are not. But a corrupt tree brings, not forth, brings forth evil fruit. So he says when you look at the physical things that are growing and then relate it back to you as a person, how, how do you stand? Is God looking at you as a good tree? Or a corrupt tree. You know, he talks about the basket of fruit. I, I didn't write that down. But he said there's the, there the basket of fruit. There was good, good figs and bad figs. But he relates that to people. Good, good figs are what God wants. The bad figs he doesn't want. So here he's saying, you look at the tree. So, if we look at a tree and relate that back to you or me, uh, God looks at me 
what am I doing? Am I a tree that's bringing forth something that's going to honor God? Or am I going to bring something that dishonors God? Am I a good fig or a bad fig? You know, you can't... He goes on to say, you, you actually spit out the bad figs. Uh, I opened it, took some milk this morning, and um, it didn't smell good. And personally, I, I can't drink milk that's bad. I mean, when it just starts to get bad, it's kind of hard to drink. Yet I like sour cream, but I don't like sour milk. But how does that... So, if God is looking at me as a tree, what do I do? How do I respond? A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. So, if our mindset is doing the right things, we're not going to bring bad things. As people, we can look at each other and say, well, that person is bad. It's difficult to look into the mirror and say, (laughs) what does that say about me? Am I sour milk or am I sweet milk? Am I producing fruit that is honorable to God? Or am I producing the fruit that God just doesn't want? So, if I am a good tree, I cannot bring bad fruit. Anything I do, because my mindset is the same mindset that Christ has. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. We can look at our government. We can see that our government has a lot of corrupt trees out there. They just cannot bring forth good fruit. Their whole mindset is not the same as what God has. So as a person, I have to examine myself, and that's what Christ said back prior to Passover, and it continues past Passover. We examine who I am. It's difficult because it's like it says, if you look in the mirror and you see what's there in the mirror looking back at you, then if you shut that off, walk away from that mirror, and it's easy to forget what you look like. It's easy to forget your past history. Every tree, verse 19, that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. That can be pretty scary if you take it in the perspective that God is putting here. If you're not producing fruit, what's going to happen to you? You see, we're being tried today. We're being examined by God today. Verse 20, wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. So if we're willing to look at somebody else, are we willing to look at ourselves? Are we willing to say, what is my fruit? Is it producing something that God wants? It's easy to look at your neighbor. It's easy to look at uh, the country. It's easy to put down the, the people who are running the country, but what about yourself? Are we those that God wants to put into his way of life. Ephesians chapter 1, 4 through 5. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, 4 through 5. God wants to know who you are. 
And he wants you to examine yourself. That's why he told Paul to write, uh, uh, you're, you're, uh, you make your own decisions based on your life, examining yourself. Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 4. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Am I that way? Did God chose me. He says, I chose you. He chose the church today. And he chose you before the foundation of the world. Before everything started, he had a plan made. That plan included this whole process. Passover, unleavened bread, the way sheep, the first fruits, trumpets, atonement. Trumpets when Christ returns, atonement for marriage. You know, we're scheduled to marry Christ if we have the right fruit. If we examine ourselves and say, hey, this is, I'm trying to do the right things. You know, Paul said, and I find this in myself, he said, I know what's right. And I know what I should do, but so often I just don't do it. I always do what's not right. And he said, woe is me. It's a good thing that God is the one who's in charge. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart of man is deceitful. But God, verse 10, looks at the heart. So, what is my fruit? Verse 6, 5, rather. Having predestined us to be adoption of the sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So, we've been chosen to do good things. Yet, we don't always do it. We always, we can, we're human. We make mistakes. We can easily see another person's problems. But we, if we do like Paul and examine ourselves, we say, wow, that's not right. But it's so easy to do it. So let's go to Acts 1, chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. This is the beginning of the church. This is when God actually started, even though he trained 12 people ahead of time. They were not converted. They were being trained. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So here we're gathered, as it goes on to show, 120 people. Men, women, who were seeking God, who all gathered at one place with the same mindset. In Amos 3.3, 3, tells us, can two people walk together? Can we walk with God? Can we be with God? Can we be with each other if we have a different mindset? No. We have to be on the same page in the same book at the same time. When that happened in Acts chapter 2, when God started the church of God, they were all at one place and they had the same mindset. 
So, in Amos 3, and it says, Can two walk together unless they be uh, agreed? They agreed. And so God poured out His Spirit, and much was changed. Great things occurred at that time, because these people all agreed at the same thing. They agreed with the same material. They agreed with who Christ was. Back in 2 Corinthians now, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So, God wants us to be at the same mindset. He wants us to have the same ideas, the same thoughts, the same actions. And think there in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You see, he's telling us that we've got to look at our life. We can't be in total agreement with the world. We have to be, we can't be yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion has light with darkness? We need to think about that. When it comes to that point in our life, um, how do I deal with other people? Am I closer to those here? Those with the same mindset supposed to have? Or am I closer with people in the world? So I have to examine myself at that aspect. Verse 15. And what accord has Christ with Baal? Well, better said, what what Accord. What connection does Christ have with Satan? There is none. They're two opposites. Or what part has he that believes in, a, in, in a, with an infidel? So again, it's just pointing out we we have a different mindset with that of the world, and we have to work on that mindset. We have to make sure that we agree. We hear things. We've, we've learned a lot of things in this little group. Um, different than most of the church. But we did it because we have an open mind. We have a mindset that we want to learn what God has to tell us. So we're different than the world. We're willing to open our mind to the new teachings. Not new teachings so much as more in-depth teachings. It reminds me of Paul talking to the Romans, I mean to Hebrews, where he said in chapter 5, I come to bring you a deeper understanding, more meat, more stronger understanding, but you're not ready to receive it. So we have to ask ourselves, am I ready to receive the information that God has sent to his servant at this time? The world, and most of the church, doesn't want to hear that. You can remember what they said about Christ. They didn't want to hear Christ. Uh, I was listening to Jeremiah. You know, they put that man in jail because they did not want to hear what God had to say. But it doesn't make any difference whether you want to hear it or not, when God says something, 
It's going to happen. It might not happen today or tomorrow or next week or next year. But if God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. God's going to bring it about. So we have to believe God or we have to believe the world. It's, it's up to us. So we're different from the world. Are we ready to accept strong meat when it comes to us? I know it's difficult. And I look back and I, I know it's like with, with keeping two Passovers. I call it two Passovers. It's called keeping Passover on the evening of the 14th. And then keeping the night to be much observed on the 15th, the evening of the 15th. Uh, and, you know, and that's something I look at and said, when, when I look at that, and, and they say, well, they left Egypt on the 15th. Well, I can remember going to Michigan. I had to go to, we're going to ride the train. Okay, I had to go to uh, Flagstaff to get on the train. When did I leave to go to Michigan? When I left the house or when I got on the train in Flagstaff? Well, I went to Michigan when I left the house and drove four hours to Flagstaff and spent the night and then got on the train because I got to get on the train at five o'clock in the morning and it's pretty difficult to get up at one or two and drive there. So when did I leave? The same holds true with Israel. When did they leave? They left on the 14th. So I can't have the, the mindset of the world. I have to have the mindset of God. Verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. So here we're told we belong to God. God will dwell in us and with us if we open our mind and allow him to do that. Or we can dwell with the world if we want the world mindset. We've heard many, many sermons, many communications telling us that you have to put yourself out of the world. Yes, we live in Babylon, but we can't be Babylonian. We have to be outside of Babylonian. So we have to be, as the temple of God, we have to be ready to ingest in our lives God's way of life. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their gods and they shall be my people. This is what God is telling us. We can't walk and be with the world. We can't, you can't have one foot in the grave and one on the banana peel because you're going to slip. It's too easy. If we're so tied to the world, you know, it's the parable of the sower. You know, the seed that fell among the thorns or the, or the weeds, what happened? The weeds grew up and they can choke out because we're so involved in that aspect of our life that we can get choked out of the, of the truth. But God is dwelling in us if we allow him to do that. So God has made a difference with us. He's called us, set us aside. He's put his mind in us. 
we have to accept that mind and let that mind teach us and lead us. Jeremiah chapter 2. God made a difference with the Israelites. And here in Jeremiah 2, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 3, God says, Israel was holiness unto the eternal, the first fruits of his increase. So here God made Israel first fruits. He set that whole nation aside, and all that all that devour him shall offend, evil shall come upon him. So those people that tried to devour the nation of Israel as long as they let God direct them were destroyed. But, because Jeremiah was the one that said, look, if you will change and do it my way, God said to to Jeremiah, I will protect you. But they didn't want to hear the fact that God said, if you will just give up yourself to the uh, Babylonians, you'll be okay. But if you resist, you're going to die. And so they put him in jail. They threw him in the dungeon. They threw him into the mire and let him to, to die because they just didn't want to hear what God said was going to happen. So God made a difference with Israel if they were willing to let him teach him to and lead them. He would do the same thing to us. As long as we're in the same mindset, as long as we are like Amos, where he says, can you walk with God? If you can, you have to agree with him. You have to agree with what he sends. If he sends someone to teach you that, you know, you've got to stop living a worldly way of life, you have to make a choice. He's God is not going to make the choice for you. He's just going to set it in front of you. You make the choice yourself. If you want to live in the world, he says, go ahead. But you have to pay the penalty that comes along with it. But if you want to live my way, then you have to enjoy the gift that comes with it, which is eternal life. Hebrews chapter 12 Daryl goes over this many times as, as almost a memory scripture talking about the church. God tells us as individuals, he said, but you are come to Mount Zion. So here we are, are brought to Christ, to the Father, to Mount Zion. The church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that all things might have preeminence. So, we're brought here, I think, my mindset is, that we're brought out here, uh, I can remember back in 2001, and coming to understand that I needed to get out of my dwelling place. Because I was too tied with beekeeping, I was too tied to my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. I was really tied to them. But I realized back in 2001 that I had to come out of that area. 
So am I willing to let God lead me? Well, you know, I, back when I first came into the church, I was really gung-ho. I, I can see myself in the first church where God says, you do really good except for one thing. You need to get back to your first love. So I can see that in me. I can see that God has called a Give me a special calling back in 1962. A special call. And I was done whole. But over the years, it's easy to say, well, we were really done whole because 60, in 1972, we were going to go to a place of safety. And by 75, Christ would return. So we were really really into studying and praying and, and you know, giving our life. But 72 come, 72 goes. 82 came, and 82 went. And before you know it, 102, uh, 2002 come, and we're still not here. So I saw this little organization when I first saw it. I said, man, when I heard the first minor prophet, I said, that was like what I heard from Herbert Armstrong. And so I got to studying more and getting more involved. And the message was, Christ is returning and we've got to get our act straight and get going to it. But before you know it, it was 2010. And Christ hadn't returned yet. And then it was 2015 and my first wife dies. And it was 2017 and 2000. And now it's 2022. Where are we now? Are we still walking with God? Are we still agreeing with God? Or has it got to that point where it's pretty easy to take it easy? Well, you know, I got plenty of time. I got plenty of time. I remember a guy telling me many years ago, 30 some years ago, I know where the church is. I, I want to get my son into the big league uh, baseball games. And so I've got to spend the time. And he said, I know where the church is. That was 40 years ago, I think. Do you think he could find the church today? There's over, what, 500 splits someplace out there? Do we all have the same mindset? Not, not all of us have the same mindset. So, how are we today? 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. We're starting verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now is Christ raised from the dead and become the first fruit of them that sleep. What happened on wave sheath? Wave sheath, being on the first day of the week, was Christ became the first fruit. He went to the Father. He became the wave chief offering. He became the first fruit of God and became the first fruit of them that sleep. For since man came death, by man comes also the resurrection from the dead. For in Adam all die. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his order, Christ the first fruit, 
afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. So that's talking about us. Christ is the first fruit. Tomorrow represents our day. Wave sheep was Christ's day. Wave sheep had to be on a Sunday, had to be the first day of the week, had to be the first of the first fruits. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. I'll just read that to you. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten from the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So Christ made it possible by him being the first of the first fruits. That's the importance of, of the wasting. It's so important to realize that Christ set the example. Look at what David had to say in Psalms chapter 1. Psalms chapter 1. What David had to say of, about us. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So we're told, be careful. You don't want to be in the world, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. This is a direction to us. This is telling us we're the first fruits. We're to follow Christ's example. But we can't be in the world and in the church. You can't be in both. That's standing in the one foot in the grave and one on the banana peel. It's just not going to work. Verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the eternal, and in his law does he meditate day and night. So here's giving us a little guideline on what we should be doing. Our meditation should be on God. We should be on the delight of what God wants what God expects from us. He shall be like a tree planted by the river of water that brings forth fruit in its season. And its leaves shall not wither, and whatsoever he does will prosper. That's those that are becoming first fruits. If you're meditating on God in God's way, and it's easy, you know, it's easy to live in this world today where you see the corruption, murder, every place. And not just because one or two people, a very, very, very small minority of people go in and massacre people. They don't go out and tell the many, many people that are killing babies, is that not massacre? Or the deaths that occurred in the hospitals? Or with the viruses that they sent out? They don't talk about that stuff. They just talk about one or two people that commit mass murders because they want to get rid of guns. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. The ungodly, he goes on to say, are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. So if you're, if you're not godly, then you're ungodly. And you're thinking about all the corruption, everything that you can do, and you're going to go out there and 
And when they come and attack this world, I'll be out there and I'll just cut down bunches of them. No, you won't. If God isn't our protection, you're not going to make it. It's just, it's just not going to happen. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. Think about that. Those that are ungodly are not going to be part of that first group. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So, sinners cannot be wherever God's people are. For the eternal knows the ways of the righteous, but the ways of the ungodly are going to perish. So, does God know who I am? Does he know you? I hope that we are working as hard as we can. It, it must be, as I can see, it must be our primary goal of life is to be a part of that first fruit. Whatever it takes, how much ever is required of you, you have to be willing to give it up. If not, you give and go with the world. Look what Christ, when we look, think back of, about Christ and how much he did. Here he was, the Word of God. He directed a lot of what was done. He did a lot of what was done. He created a lot of everything. But look what he did. James 1 verse 18 says, Of his own will, he begot, uh, he, uh, with his own will begot he us with his word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. So he made it possible. What he did, what Christ did for us, was give us the ability to be part of the first fruits which we celebrate tomorrow. They celebrate what we are. Romans 8, verse 29. Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, Christ speaking through Paul, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. So God predestinated you to be like Christ. Christ is the first fruits. So you're to be first fruits. And first fruits, you know, are the best. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's what Christ became. The firstborn. He's first of the first fruits. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also did call. And whom he did call, then he also did justify. And whom he justified, he then glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So if we walk with God, if we walk with Christ, if we walk with the apostles, if we walk with God, we're like Enoch or Noah or Abraham. That's what we have to do. Colossians 1, verse 20 and 22. So 20 through 22. And having made peace through the blood of the cross by him to reconcile to all things to himself, I say, whether they be things on earth or things in heaven, that you, 
that were sometimes alienated in the enemies by your mind to the wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. So he's even telling us that before he called you, before he opened your mind, you were his enemy. You did everything the wrong way. But now he has reconciled us in the body of his flesh through the death to present you holy, unblameable, unreproachable in his sight. So we were set up by Christ. Christ did this for us. He made it possible for you and for me to be a part of that first fruits through his body, through dying, through giving up eternity, becoming a human being, going through everything we do and show that it's possible. It's tough, but it's possible. <laughs> Revelation 14 talks about us. What's for us? What's ahead of you? Revelation 14, 1 through 4. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him a hundred forty-four thousand, having the Father's name written in their forehead. Think of that. Think of having the Father's name. Think of being, you are so-and-so. Oh, that's God's name. You are a part of a God family. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sang as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. We're going to have a time to sing a beautiful song and we're going to be the ones doing it. That is, if we are in the same category, the same uh, agreement with God as they were in Acts 2. They were all in one accord. They were one place with the same mindset. That's what God is expecting from us. These are they, verse 4, which were not defiled of women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. So we are offered something spectacular. You need to consider that and think about that as we go into tomorrow, to the day of weeks of first fruits. It's the first day of the week because you're to be the first of God's harvest. Pentecost is always the first day. It represents the first fruits. Are you going to be part of that first fruits? It's the first harvest of God. Many harvests will come later. But God's only going to take the best 
of the first fruits. He's not going to take all that will come during the millennium. He's going to take the best, the choicest. He's going to examine everybody to see how many flaws you have or no flaws because you dress with the wedding garments. First fruits are the best. Are we the best? Emmanuel, Christ with us, God with us, is the first of the first fruits. Tomorrow, we're offered the opportunity to be the rest of the first fruits.